church, get on your feet this morning. We're going to have some fun. We are finishing the classic series. Come on, you can have some fun in church. We're so grateful for Rob letting us use his classic 1957 iconic Chevy classic back there. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed the classic series this month? Talking on classic love. And if you have a Bible, pick it up. We're going to stand for the reading of the word. And uh, we get excited when we open up the Bible. We're going to turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. We've been talking about love and what does it look like to have a classic love story, a classic love story. And so we've been going through the book of Ruth, and last week we left off on Ruth believing that she was going to do the right thing and hope that God was going to work out a marriage between her and Boaz. And Boaz did the right thing, and if you just wait, you will get your Boaz, so don't give up. You don't want to get Boaz's cousins, and because uh, he's got a lot of them. <laughs> But, you know, you want to wait for the right man. And so they ended up together. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 4 that Boaz married Ruth. Everybody go, on. And she became his wife, and they slept with each other. And God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. And it says, the women said to Naomi, blessed be God. Now, Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law, and Ruth had served her mother-in-law, lived with her mother-in-law uh, because she had a previous marriage that, her husband had died, and so she had walked with Naomi and talked with Naomi and helped Naomi, who was the mother of her previous husband who'd passed. And now Naomi was sitting here with her grandchild, seeing God's restoration, God's favor on Ruth's life. And just the, the, the amazing power that when you wait and you do the right thing, God works things out. Even if you feel like you've messed up, God can turn around your situation. And here she is holding this baby, and the women start saying, Naomi, this baby is going to grow up. He's going to be strong. He's going to be famous in Israel. And it said that Naomi held this baby, and she waited on him hand and foot. She served him. She got her energy back. This morning, if you've lost your energy or your passion, you can get it back in God's presence. Everybody say, get it back. Get it all back. Come on now. It says that, um, let's go on to the next verse, verse 16. It says that this baby, um, the next one, verse 17, I apologize. It says this baby, the neighborhood women called it Naomi's baby boy, but we know him as Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David. And the chapter ends with this genealogy here. We realize Ruth and Boaz... Their obedience to do things right, to prepare for a classic love story, resulted in a harvest of an amazing legacy that prepared the way for our Savior, Jesus Christ, to come through their family, their decision to come together. David was their great-grandson. David, his kingdom was the kingdom that ushered in the Savior of the world, Jesus. And it all started, well, I say it all started in this story. It all started with Ruth and Boaz making the decision to come together. God has a plan for your marriage, your future marriage, your current marriage. He's got a legacy in store. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. God's not finished with you yet. Okay, one more passage I want you to look at, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Come on, somebody. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and one thing I love about the story of Ruth that kind of connects with 1 Corinthians 13 is it's a story about love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. 
You know, we, we realized that Ruth had to choose to walk in love. Ruth had to choose to live selfless, to be faithful. Ruth and Naomi, they were different generations. Naomi was in her late 60s, early 70s. Ruth was in her late 20s, going into her early 30s. They had two different styles. They, weren't, they didn't think the same or dress the same, but they had a common vision. And that's the plan that God has for churches is that we would unite as generations. We might be different, but we have the same vision. We're believing God to reach a harvest of people for Jesus Christ to become the church that Jesus is coming back for. And we can come around a common vision. Ruth and Naomi had a love for what God wanted to do in their life. And the love that they found, we find in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a selfless love. Verse 4, it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. In other words, it's selfless. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. In other words, it's content. It's not jealous or envious. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love is not prideful. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Remember as a kid when I was in the backseat of my mom's van and we were going through McDonald's and we used to go to Mickey D's every week and I loved getting the chicken McNuggets but my only thing was I had to get barbecue sauce and so they forgot to give me my barbecue sauce and we were driving away and I started throwing a fit. I want my barbecue sauce. You know, I was screaming and my dad pulled out the thing that he brought on every road trip and that was the paddle. And on the paddle, it said, pray first. And on the other side, something about love. And I was like, this doesn't feel like love. And he said, Paul, we're going to drive out that me first spirit, that selfish, rebellious spirit. And I love you so much. Dad, this doesn't feel like love. And he spanked me. And listen, I still believe in spankings. I don't care what the culture says, but I, I don't know. I just think there's something about getting rid of, of, of uh, and listen, I turned out okay. So I'm not like messed up. All right. But, um. You know, I think, I think there's a place for it. All right, so don't get mad at me. Just email, email the Lord about it because he wrote it in the book. Um, love doesn't fly off the handle when things don't go its own way. Love is peaceful. Love is calm. It's, it's not constantly angry and feel like you're walking on pins and needles around a person. Love doesn't keep score of, of the sins of others. It's not tallying up how many times you messed up and saying three strikes you're out I'm done with you love gives people grace love doesn't revel when others grovel love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth in other words love is not all about drama stirring up drama save your drama for your mama you got to come to this and 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 stop stirring up gossip and slander and strife and and being a dissension divisive person celebrate the truth don't entertain one-sided stories celebrate the truth come on can I get an amen in the house love puts up with anything trust God always always looks for the best never looks back keeps going to the end love never dies everybody say love never dies everybody say love is classic all right let's say this together say I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose my heart is open my mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. If you believe it, give somebody a high five. Say, be classic, be classic, be classic. God, we do. We thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, minister to us. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, let us leave today refreshed, encouraged, challenged, and renewed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, let's talk about classic. We're finishing up this series. Classic means something that stands the test of time. 
See, I look back at this car, 1957 Chevy. This thing has stood through the test of time. This thing is a beauty. It is a classic. The difference between a classic and a contemporary, contemporary is something that's trendy, right? It's hot right now. It's fashionable. But it's derived from the word temporal, meaning constantly changing. It's not going to stand the test of time. God wants you and I to have a classic love in our lives. In other words, a love that's going to stand through the storms because love is not always easy because it's not about a feeling. It's about a choice. And God wants us to have the kind of love that's highest quality, that classic kind of love that's going to be able to last no matter what the times may bring. Everybody say classic. So when Ashley and I were getting ready to get married, we went to a marriage counselor and and it wasn't like that counseling video up there, but we sat down and someone had told us to go to a pre-marriage counseling session and just talk about things that might come up in marriage. And so we thought it was a good idea. We're going to go. And we sat down and Ashley and I had written down some goals and we hadn't really told each other all of our own personal goals and thoughts and dreams about marriage, but we both were kind of, you know, coming in with these expectations And I had these expectations that were a little unrealistic, to be honest. In the moment, I didn't think they were. I thought they were normal. You know, she was going to massage my back every day. She was going to massage my feet every night. We were going to have physical intimacy. We'll keep it PG rated at least three to four times a day, which would equal about 28 times a week. And the counselor started laughing as I start listing these expectations. And he goes, seriously? I was like, what? And then she starts laughing slash kind of mad. Like, are you serious? You want me to massage your back every day? I like, I don't think so. You're going to massage my back, you know? And I realized a lot of my expectations were based on selfishness. It was based on a contemporary kind of love, something that was all for me, all about what I could get out of the moment. And God's love for us is something that's not selfish but selfless. Everybody say selfless. The kind of love we see in the story of Ruth and Boaz is selfless love. You know, God's the one that invented marriage. America didn't invent marriage, so America can't define marriage. God invented it, and only God can define it. Marriage is defined as one man and one woman for life. That's God's definition for it. And if God defined it and said it, then that's how it is. And, and, and listen, here's the thing. God has a plan for our marriages to be healthy. Right now, in our world, in our culture... There's a 50-50 chance for marriages to last. We look at statistics and we look at even our friends and family members and we realize, man, divorce is, is at an all-time high in our nation. It's, it's almost like people have forgotten uh, what marriage is all about, the covenant in marriage, the commitment that comes with marriage. And I want to tell you something today. No matter where you're at and you've come into this room, God's grace is big enough to rescue you from this day forward to have a healthy marriage. You know, me and Ashley were talking to our friends last night who are pastors, and they, they have a family member in their family who's been married nine times. Nine times. She's on her ninth marriage. And they said, you might think, man, that's really sad and really messed up. But they said, here's the great thing. When she got married the ninth time, God got a hold of her life, and she decided from this day forward they were going to stay together and work through things. They just celebrated their 20-year anniversary in her ninth marriage. They've decided they're going to stick with it, love each other, treat each other right. We can celebrate that. And you might be here today, and you might be on your eighth or ninth or tenth marriage, or maybe you're here today and you're heartbroken from a marriage that didn't work out. I've got good news for you. 
the cross invites all of us to come to him with humble hearts because even those that are in the room that have been married 64 years and never gone through it, we all have things that we need to surrender to God and receive his mercy and grace in time of need. Amen, church? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but here's the good news. God can give you a fresh start from this day forward. So what does it take to have a classic love story? You know, I was talking to um, owners of, of these kinds of cars, and uh, there's a couple men in this church who own a classic car, and uh, some men in this church who own a few classic cars, and they, they were telling me, Paul, it, it's a lot of work, and it's not easy taking care of a classic car or restoring a classic car. And so the title of this message today is Classics Aren't Cheap. Everybody say, Classics Aren't Cheap. Classics Aren't Cheap. These kinds of cars may start off looking kind of ugly or rusted or kind of junky, but a lot of these guys love taking what's old and, uh, and ugly and junk, what people would call trash, and their minds is a potential treasure. And they will go and restore it. In fact, I had one friend named Gordon, and he loved restoring old junk cars. He would take me and my brother John to the junkyard as kids, and he was, he was kind of like a, a grandpa to us, like a stand-in grandpa, and, and he would go and hang out with us. And so we would go to these junkyards, and he'd say, guys, look at that treasure over there. And we'd be like, Gordon, that's junk, bro. <laughs> you know, are you serious? He said, no, that's, that's treasure, because one man's trash is another man's treasure. And he said, Paul, I believe there's potential in any car. I believe any car has the potential to be restored. Isn't that the way God sees us? God looks at us and he says, I believe there's potential for any man to be restored. Potential for any woman, any divorcee to be restored. And you're here today and you might feel like you're trash, but in God's eyes, you're a treasure. And he can restore. You might feel like you've been used, abused, and left, and, and, and there's nothing left for you to give. But God says there's treasure inside of you. In fact, one car Gordon got, he bought it for like $500, and it was a piece of junk. But he brought it into his garage, and he spent years working on this car. And friends and family members, even my dad, when he would come pick me and John up, he'd be like, Gordon. Why don't you give up on that car? That, that car is kind of, you know, it's kind of a piece of trash, you know. And Gordon said, no, that's my baby. I'm working on that. I'm going to turn that thing into a classic. And sure enough, over time, he turned that car into a classic. But it wasn't cheap. And I think about how we understand in America, we, we, we understand the idea of value, right? Like we, we look at uh, things at Walmart or Target. We look for the good deals. We want to get something that's cheap. But if you get something that's cheap, just understand it's, it's going to be cheap, right? If you want something that's expensive, it's going to last longer, but it's going to cost you more. Classics aren't cheap. You know, I was thinking about how salvation is free. We receive salvation freely from God, but following Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Everybody say, salvation is free. But following Jesus will cost you everything. And the same thing goes for a classic love story. A lot of us want a happily ever after. But are we willing to pay the price? Have we counted the cost of what that really means? Because it means both parties living selfless love lives. Both sides choosing to be selfless servants to each other. Putting the other ahead of us. So here's what classics require. Number one, classics require protection. No, oh, sorry. Classics require vision, vision. I'll get to the protection here in a second. Sorry, I'm taking medicine right now. I'm getting healed. Thank you, Jesus. Classics require vision. 
Proverbs 29 says, without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. To all the singles in the room, this message is just for you as much as it is for married people. Get a vision in your heart of where God wants to take you. Get a vision for your future marriage. A vision for what God wants to do through you. There was this girl that used to come to Victory. And now she lives in Ireland. But she would come here week after week. And serve in church. And give. And love. And help out. And she was a single girl. She was going into her mid-30s. And she had been single all through college at ORU. And come over to Victory. And got plugged in here. Planted. But people would say, you know, Cynthia, when are you going to get married? There's, there's tons of guys waiting for you to get married. You're beautiful. There's so many guys that you can marry right now. And she said, I have a vision. I have a vision of the man I want to marry. I have a vision for the kind of marriage I want to have. And I haven't seen it yet. But Cynthia, why don't you just settle? Why don't you just lower your standards? Come on, just marry one of these guys around here. There's anybody. You just pick somebody. Just go with somebody. She said, I have a vision. Everybody said, get a vision. Without a vision... People will lower their standards. Without a vision, people will cast off restraint. Even in your marriage, have a vision for a healthy marriage. A vision means setting boundaries. Here's the kind of marriage we want to have. Here's the way we're going to talk to each other. The way we're going to treat each other. We're going to be faithful to each other. A vision of faithfulness. A vision of encouragement in your house. And strife being pulled out of your house. Get a vision for where you're headed. Without a vision, people perish. Number two, classics require protection. Protection. You know, I was looking at this car, and in the same way that uh, Gordon would take these cars that were old junkers, and he would get a vision of where he wanted it to be one day. He would have a vision that one day it was going to be a classic. He understood it was going to require protection. These kind of cars can't be left out under stormy weather. You can't just leave the doors open every day and expect things to be okay and for it to get nice and to be better you have to guard it proverbs chapter 4 says guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life guard your heart above all else guard your heart that's proverbs 4 23 how many of you guys would love to have a classic car all right how many of you guys do own a classic car in the room all right a few in the room but a lot of us would love a classic like this just even just to look at just isn't it pretty to look at it it's just nice just look would you just look at that just give a look at that thing over there that thing is a beauty all right but here's the thing it's going to require protection guarding your heart girls don't sell yourself short you are not cheap. You are not a commodity. You are not just something to be traded in and out, used and abused. You are expensive. You are priceless. You have value inside of you. Don't just settle for anything with two legs, all right? And don't just go with any guy that talks down to you or puts you down. And men, guard your heart. Protect yourself. Protect your eyes. Don't let trash get into your soul. Don't be looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at or listening to music you shouldn't be listening to. You say, well, Paul, this sounds really old-fashioned. See, this, this, these truths were written in the Word of God 2,000 years ago. and there is, a, there is a truth to the fact that it is a bit old-fashioned, but here's the key. Old-fashioned works. Contemporary fades. You want to go with what the world's doing? You want to take your cues from what the world gives you on how to treat women? You won't have a long-lasting marriage. If you take your cues from the world's movies and the world's music and, and what rappers are saying you should treat your women like, I'm telling you, and I say rappers, but I'm, I'm talking about the non-Christian rappers because we got some solid Christian rappers that tell you to treat women right. But what I'm saying is there's music out there that stirs up this way of treating people that's not right. 
And men, I want to challenge you, guard yourself and protect yourself from treating women wrong. Women are meant to be valued. They're meant to be esteemed. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he says, honor women. Treat women honorable. That's 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to put that scripture up on the screen. He says, treat women with honor. And he was talking to a group of men that in their culture, in their day, they struggled with this because women were not citizens like them. In fact, they were viewed as less valuable back in that day. And in, in, in that time, in the Roman Empire, sex trafficking was at an all-time high. Men had multiple mistresses, even if they were married. They would do whatever they wanted to women. And here Peter says, hey, honor women. Oh, sorry, that's, that's the wrong verse. Go, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse uh, 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, honor women, honor your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker. Now, women, don't, don't get upset here. He's not saying like weaker, less important. He's saying like maybe in an arm wrestling match, the guy was probably going to win. But you're still just as important, just as intelligent. But he says she's your equal partner. Women are meant to be treated right. And she's God's gift for you. God's gift for you. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow, that's big right there. Men, our prayers will be hindered if we're treating women wrong. If you have music on your iPhone, on your iPod, that calls girls names that you wouldn't say in church, delete those songs tonight off your phone. Because in every culture where a genocide has happened, it starts with demoralizing those people with names that are negative. In Rwanda, I remember going to Rwanda and hearing the story about the genocide that happened between the Tutsis and the Hutus. And it said that the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches. And they would say these names over and over and over to the point where finally they decided they were going to start killing them. And 800,000 people died. And it started with name calling. And so if you're listening to music that's calling girls, and I can't even say it because it's so bad, the way that some of this music is coming out or movies, get rid of it. Because it's just one step closer towards how you're going to treat those people in your life. And women, if you're listening or reading or watching stuff that puts down men, it's going to eventually come out of your mouth towards men. I encourage the ladies in the room, we need ladies, not just girls. Boys, we need gentlemen, not just boys. That's how you build a classic. Protect your heart, protect your spouse, protect the opposite gender of yourself. Protection. Everybody say protection. All right, number three, constant care, constant care. Thanks, Pastor CJ, constant care. Classics require constant care. Imagine if you parked your classic, if you got a really nice one, someone made it for you, got it all fixed up, cleaned for you, and you just left it out in your front driveway and left the doors open. The storms come down, the snow and the sleet and the hail and the ice, and, and then critters start getting in there, rats. It's going to get messed up, right? It requires constant care, checking up on it, taking care of it, storing it in the right place, cleaning it, keeping it nice and polished. In the same way that we would take care of a classic car, we've got to take care of our love walk with each other. Constant care, looking out for one another. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he says, I've got a new commandment for you. All the disciples are excited. All right, we got a new message. Come on, get your pens and paper. We got a new sermon. Jesus is going to preach us a new sermon. All right, what is it? Jesus says, all right, here's the new word, the new message. Love each other. Jesus, we've heard this sermon before. 
feel like you talk about this every year in February. What? Where's the new stuff? Give me some new material. I want some new content. Here's the new message. Here's the new message. You ready for it? Here's the new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. And then the guys are going, yeah, yeah, we get that. He says, no. Love other genders the same way that I've loved you. Love men. Love women the way that I've loved you. Treat them with honor and respect and dignity. Lifting others up, not putting them down. Give them compassion and care. Reach out to them. Be a healer. Don't be a discourager. Be an encourager. Lift each other up. And, and they're kind of fighting this back. They're saying, but, but, but Jesus, you know, we're, we're the men. Exactly. You're the men. So be the man of the house. Be the man. Lay down your life for your spouse. Be selfless. Don't expect her to do everything for you. And women, be selfless. Serve each other. God has a dream for us to have a classic love story, but it's going to require constant care, walking in love. As the band is coming up, I want to give you the last point here. Number four, classics require a never give up attitude. A never give up attitude. Everybody say never give up. You know, I think about Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. For at the right time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, Cynthia, she would be told time and time again, Cynthia, your, your vision, it's, it's too much. Stoop down. Do something else. This girl, she would come to church and she would serve and give and do all these things. And they would say, Cynthia, come on. But she held on to the vision. She chose, I'm going to never give up on what God told me. Never give up. The day came where she ended up meeting the man of her dreams. She married Mark Murphy. And today they do ministry together. She ended up getting married right, as she, right before she turned 40. Her and Mark met. And it's one of the most beautiful, amazing marriages. But she had to hold on. And you might be here today holding on for your marriage. Or as a single, holding on, believing God that he's going to give you a healthy marriage one day. Or maybe you're here today and you're holding on for a relationship to be restored in your family. Between you and your son. You and your daughter, you and your father, you and your sister. Maybe listening to the story and listening to this message, you're realizing, man, I've got a lot of work to do. There's areas in my life where I'm unsurrendered. There's bitterness, there's strife, there's drama, there's anger, there's impatience. I sometimes make life all about me. I want to tell you that today God can restore you. God can heal you. He can redeem you. I want to invite my friend Rob up here to end today's sermon and sharing his testimony but Rob was someone who needed restoration. Much like the cars that my friend Gordon would work on. Rob was kind of like one of those cars that needed to be restored. Gone through a lot of pain, through a lot of hurt. Today, this is the owner of that classic car right behind us too. He understands a thing or two about classics. But God's done a work in your life. God never gave up on you, Rob. And has caused you to be a man after God. Tell him your story, your testimony. Um. I know a thing or two about relationships and neglecting relationships and not uh, building relationships and restoration. Um, I didn't grow up in a godly home. I was never given a good example of what uh, rebuilding relationships or building relationships looked like. Parents married and divorced several times, and uh, so I didn't grow up with that, you know, so I just winging it alone, you know, and looked at the examples that I'd seen, and I lived my life that way, not building for anything eternal or to last, just building for the moment. And uh, anyway, as you can imagine, I got married and did like 
a lot of people do, and on the death of my father and my uh, one of my best friends, life changed a bit. Um, got into drugs, uh, got into selling drugs, uh, got into criminal activity. I mean, everything you can imagine, armed robberies, uh, just bad. I was a bad guy. And uh, ended up in jail, you know, big surprise. Uh, my wife divorced me, of course. I didn't give her anything. I didn't build any kind of a relationship that would last something like that. Uh, found myself in jail, and that's the first time I had a relationship where I knew Jesus Christ for the first time. And, uh, of course, being flat on your back, you'll look straight up. And I looked up to God, and he showed up in my life and uh, did, did miraculous things there. He didn't rescue me from jail, which I didn't need to be out. It was been a, been a bad thing for me to get out, probably. Um, but he did come into my life, and I had a real relationship. Um, I, had a, I, was, I was very strong. Um, as I said earlier, I was in, I escaped from jail, so I did eight months in solitary, and I had nothing but Kenneth Hagin books, so I had a good foundation, let me tell you. I, I mean, strong, and walked it strong. I walked a strong walk in prison. Um, we got to a federal pen, and me and another guy, we pretty much ran the chapel there. We invited outside groups to come in. I mean, I was strong, and I hit the road strong. Now, I come out built up. I mean, uh, being in prison, you're uh, protected from a lot of things that, you know, uh, can't sin in some ways and, and other ways not. But anyway, I obviously got out and God, through this, restored a relationship with my adopted mom and dad and they helped me and I got out and I was started to do well. But uh, I was like seeds scattered among the thistles. Uh, once I started to grow up, the cares of life and when you do get out of prison, if you guys know anybody coming out of prison, help them. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, a lot of things come crashing in on you, and you're just not ready for them. It just kind of builds up. But at any rate, like I said, I didn't get planted was my first mistake. And I do prison ministry, and I use Paul's sermon to speak to these guys. He spoke on being planted, and I tweaked it with them and said, you're getting ready to be transplanted. And transplanting is a crucial time for a plant. It needs to get back in the soil immediately. I can speak from experience because I didn't do this. I didn't get planted back in the church, and I didn't maintain my relationship with God. And other relationships that I had in my life I didn't maintain with my family and such and got separated and got back into the things that I'd been into before, uh, string of relationships that were all one-sided, like my relationship with God, which was one-sided. You know, what can you do for me? I, I prayed. I believed. I, I, I was a criminal. Certainly I prayed. You know, God, don't let me get busted. You know, seriously, I know it's funny, uh, but that's just the mindset that I was in. And so, uh, you know, we go down this road. Um, in, in the life that I lived, I spent the next 20 years uh, building a criminal marijuana trafficking enterprise, and it consumed my life. And that's what I was—that's uh, what I focused on. I didn't focus on the relationship in my life. I used women, I used people. Uh, that's the life I lived. I was the god of my life, and uh, if I worshipped anything, it was money and marijuana. That was me, you know. And uh, and I thought that was cool. I had a lot of re respect. Uh, a lot of clout, I thought. So anyways, I lived my life like that, and it was the God of my own little world. And again, uh, history repeats itself. I find myself in jail again. Busted, bad, bad situation, looking at a lot of time for criminal trafficking and and uh, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of bad stuff, uh, uh, kidnapping and such. It looked bad, and I had guns, and it looked real bad. And that's when I came to victory for the first time. And uh, when I walked out the door back there, I went to shake Pastor Billy Joe's hand. And uh, 
he came at me and he said, you've got a storm brewing in your life and God wants me to speak to you. He wants you to know that it is going to be all right and he wants you to have peace, which gave me something to be able to walk out what I had to go through. And it was a lot. They took everything I owned. They tried to take my property. It was bad. I mean, it was just couldn't look any worse. Had a DA that was dead set on putting me in prison. So, it, you know, this was bad. But anyways, we started to walk out and I got back in church and I re, you know, reconnected with God. And of course, he was there all the time and, and did miraculous things in my life. Uh, miraculous. I could go on and tell you 15 things that just don't happen in a criminal case like this that happened in mine. Uh, well, Pastor Billy Joe knew, and he gave me something to stand on and gave me a, a, a piece of something, you know, and a lot of people could speak to me and give me a word like he did, but like I said before, I consider Pastor Billy Joe to be a spiritual giant, and, and to me, and this is a, star, a strong statement, I just think the greatest man of God since the Apostle Paul, I really do, he was that to me. And uh, but anyways, we walked that on out, and <laughs> he, he read my mail that day, and my attorney, Randy Morley's next to me, and he looks at me and says, I did not tell him anything, but he just knew. But anyways, we walked this out, and God showed up in my life. My relationship with God was restored. My relationship with my, my, my wife, we developed a relationship after this. You know, I didn't give her anything to hold on to. I, I had a lot of money. Well, who wouldn't want to be with me? But... We do have a relationship now. God has restored that. God has re drawn my wife into the church in a, in a big way. And anyways, I've, I've seen restoration and I've seen neglecting relationships and where it gets you. And I've seen restoration. And I've seen now that coming here, I'm, I go to BBC and, and, and I've just seen blessing now. I've, I've seen God always be in my life and was there to help me whenever things went bad. But now that, I mean, my business is blessed, my family's blessed, my marriage is blessed. And it's all, it's all good, man. It, it is all good. And I've, I've got a lot to be thankful. I give God all the glory for all of it. Praise God. Praise God, Rob. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. God can restore whatever you've walked through. He can restore your marriage. He can restore your life. You might feel like you're used, abused. You might feel neglected. You might feel like you've been the one that's neglecting others. But God can restore you today the benefits of living for a classic love is that at the end of your obedience, at the end of your surrender, God's favor shows up in unprecedented ways. Today, Rob's business is so blessed because he's continually surrendering himself to God, saying, God, work in me. Never give up on surrendering to God. Never give up on God doing a work in your life because God never gives up on you. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. And I want to do something special today for married couples all over this room. I want you to turn to your spouse. I'm going to invite Ashley up here. We're going to make a commitment in front of each other. And singles, stick around because this, this is important for you too to experience. If you're married, would you just turn to your spouse? And if your spouse isn't here, you just say this standing in agreement for you and your spouse. We're going to renew our vows today. And these vows mean something. These vows are not just meant to be kind of flippantly said these vows are meant to be fully grasped and saying Lord I want to commit to saying these and fulfilling these for my spouse so we're going to start with the men the husbands and husbands I want you to say this after me say I and say your name I Paul according to the word of God commit myself fully to you to love you to honor you and to cherish you always from this day on, I will be a husband to you. I will bless you 
I will pray for you and I will protect you. I vow to forsake all others and cling to you forever. You are my one, my only true love. I will never leave you. And from this moment on, we shall be one. Now, wives, you turn and say this to your husband. And if he's not here, you just speak it out. Maybe he's at home. Maybe he's in the hospital. Maybe you're believing God he's going to get back to church. But I challenge you to just say this vow, wives, to your husband. I, and say your name, according to the word of God, commit myself fully to you, to love you, to honor you, and submit myself to you. From this day on, I will be a wife to you, honoring you as the head of our home. I vow to forsake all others and cling to you forever. You are my one, my only true love. I will never leave you. And from this moment on, we shall be one. You may kiss your bride. All right.